Let us pray. Lord, that final phrase just keeps going over and over in my mind, that nothing compares to you. And tonight we come together and we say that to you in song and in prayer because it comes from within our hearts, and we're thankful tonight. We're thankful tonight, Lord, for the precious, for the precious truth in your word, and we pray that as we look at that together tonight, that you would move us closer to you, that you would show us where we may lack, and that you would truly help us, Lord, as we consider walking and living in the way of holiness that you have provided for us. In the strong name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I would invite you tonight, if you would like to, to turn with me to the book of um, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. We'll begin reading at the 23rd verse. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The epistle, 1 Thessalonians, is a pleasure to read from the very beginning. Because it is clear that it was a very, very healthy church to whom Paul was writing. It was a very healthy church to whom Paul had had a privilege to minister to. And he missed them so very much because, as he says in 1.3, he says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work. Again, his work among them had been so pleasurable and so fruitful. He goes on to say in that first chapter that they displayed the qualities of faith, hope, and love. When we get to chapter 2, verse 13, he goes on to say, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as it actually is, the word of God. And then again in 3.7, he says, In our distress, when we're distressed, we are encouraged when we remember you. It sounds like to me the kind of church that I would like to pastor. It sounds like the kind of church any of us would like to pastor, or at least be a part of. And it really doesn't sound like when you read this epistle that it really could get any better than this. And yet, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 10, these words. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Still not taking away from the fact that they were an outstanding church, Paul still recognizes that there are some things in their lives that they still lack. Another way to translate this word supply would be the word perfect. He says again, we, if we put that word in there, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And that word means to render complete and to fit together. And again, Paul is saying that he wanted to supply what was lacking so that they could fulfill God's purpose for their lives. Verse 23, then, we come to Paul's prayer as he concludes this letter. For in this prayer, I believe he is praying that God would indeed perfect and supply what is lacking in their faith. 
Verse 23 always has captured my attention whenever I've preached this passage of Scripture. And mainly because it is so rich and because it is full of what Paul again hopes that God will supply for these Thessalonians. But I want to highlight verse 24. Because I admit, and maybe some of you might even admit if you've done treatment of this verse, that verse 23 sometimes is so rich and full that kind of like verse 24 is sort of like tacked on there and just sounds like an afterthought. But let's focus on it for a second. For it says this, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think of the word call, or we think of that whole concept of call, even though we do admit that God is the one who calls, God is the one that draws, a lot of times you kind of think about God calling, doing his part, but then you think a lot about us doing ours, and certainly we do our part in responding to the call, but you don't usually think about it as a call in terms of God's being the primary agent of making it happen. In, in, instead, as I'm, we, we think in terms of our response. And as I just said, I'm not saying that there is not a response involved here. But what is emphasized here in these verses is that God is the primary agent. God calls, and God makes it happen. How does he make it happen? The promise is in verse 24, he will perform it. We ask that question, how? Is it done in a moment? Or is it done over a period of time? Is it a process or it is something that God does for us in a moment in fulfilling this call, in completing what is lacking in their faith? Well, if we look at the verb tense in verse 24, we will find that it does have to do with a process. It does have to do with over a process of time, the God who calls us to be holy will perform that in our lives as we walk with him. And yet, if you look at the context, I believe the other idea is true also. That God is calling his people and challenging his people to say, there is something I could do for you in a moment. Because the context is verse 23. And in verse 23, we see that there is a work of God that he can do in our lives that will prepare us, that will lay the foundation, that will give us the cleansing and empowerment that we need so that we can walk the walk of process and have him work in us what he is faithful to do in making us holy. Let's look at verse 23, which I believe, again, where the promise of God is he could lay the foundation, do a work in our life to enable us to grow as we ought. I believe that in verse 23, with this prayer, we see that the work of God is characterized by, and I have three words to summarize it. Of course, I had to have three. But I couldn't get away, couldn't get away from it. Characterized by depth, breadth, and longevity. First of all, what is involved with depth? Well, what is involved is, of course, the very beginning of that phrase, the very first phrase in verse 23 is God himself. God himself is emphasized, which again goes along with verse 24, that he is faithful and he will do it. 
This is to be in contrast again to human effort. And if it is going to penetrate deeply, if the work of God that is promised in verse 23 is going to penetrate deeply, it must be an act of God. Further, God who does this, the God who sanctifies, is characterized as the God of peace. Now, the background for the word peace that is used here is the Hebrew shalom, which means harmony and well-being. The context suggests the peace of full surrender. No more fighting. No more debate about who is in charge. The peace and the harmony of well-being. Now, we understand, again, that, that Paul uses God of peace and uses this term often. But I believe, again, that he is using it here intentionally to say that this God can bring into our hearts and our lives a sense of shalom and well-being. Sense of shalom and well-being and harmony that results from an end to the conflict. An end to a question of who's going to be in charge. But the concept becomes even stronger about what God does with us, for us, in our lives, in depth, when we look at the word entire. Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you entirely. The emphasis here is on entirely, and that means through and through. It means deep, and it means thorough. It means whole, and it means the type of perfecting that Paul talked about earlier that would bring them to a level of completion that, again, could enable them to grow. What does sanctify mean? Well, sanctify means to make holy. Basically, it means Christ-likeness. And this holiness will manifest itself in our lives in love. And Paul, throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, talks about his desire that they would abound in love more and more and more. John Wesley says, being perfected in love, how strongly implies being saved from all sin. For as long as love takes up the whole heart, what room is there for sin within? The depth of the work of God is the filling of love and the freedom completely and totally from sin. Dr. West Tracy invites us to consider the idea of depth in his book that not very long ago came out uh, at Nazarene Publishing House called Holiness 101. And Dr. Tracy writes, Picture a fortified castle, strong walls, vigilant guards, a deep moat. Safe and secure, right? But what if in the still of the night, an enemy deep inside the castle keeps lowering the drawbridge? And he comments, the sin nature lurks deep within the heart of one who is not entirely sanctified. In spite of one's loftiest aspirations, best intentions, and firm resolutions, we don't get anywhere until the depth of our souls is cleansed from sin entirely. Now, what I do want to stop and comment on is that we need to be careful when we use an imagery like this about something lurking deep inside. Holiness scholars, and in, in being more biblical, I believe, have come to understand that we're not talking, we talk about the sin nature, it's not just some thing that's inside of us. Instead, we embrace the dynamic view, which simply says this, that in our hearts and our lives, when sin 
is in control, or not in control, and salvation sin is not in control, but when sin is in our lives, that um, we want my way instead of God's way. Therefore, if we make him Lord, if we surrender in our relationship completely and totally to him, then that should solve the sin question. I want to say to you that I believe that in a sense both things are true. There is a sense in which sin works inside, even though we want to understand that it's not a thingness, and there is a sense in which lordship can settle that question. But let me tell you this tonight what my fear is when we emphasize lordship a little bit too much. We begin then to think in terms too often of this just being something again I do. I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm just going to put him up in a number one slot. Rather than really grappling deep within our hearts and in our spirits and saying, oh God, I know the sin nature still manifests itself too much in my life and I want to be completely and totally free. You see, for you to simply say that he's number one in my life does not necessarily mean that you are sanctified. We're deep in your heart and your spirit. We must have the depth of his work in our lives. And the depth of his work in our lives is that we must surrender and ask God for his purity at a level in which we are ready for we know that he needs to continue to help us to grow. And we know we've reached the wall where we are not able to do so as we ought. If we forget the depth, then I'm concerned that we will not deal adequately with the sin nature. But secondly, there is the breadth. And what is involved in the breadth? Well, I see that also in verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept. The totality of who you are is what's spoken of here. Paul's not trying to just chop us up into maybe just different aspects of us. He's saying all the different aspects that we may know about ourselves, we are total and complete and whole persons. And the work of God in our lives that he wants to do to prepare us for growth, the deep cleansing in our lives that he can do in a moment of entirely sanctified, has breadth. It involves all that we are. Again, the type of perfect that is spoken of here, the type of completion is spoken of here, helps us to be attuned to our true end. We become the persons that God meant for us to be. Now, don't hear me saying tonight, then, that when the breadth of this works in your life, then, then you are therefore, don't need any therapy, don't have the end of all your problems. No. This is what I believe. And what I believe the Word of God would not contradict. And that is, unless God has sanctified you to where the breadth of every part of you is his, you will not be able to deal adequately with the problems in your life. It takes counseling. It takes accountability. It takes confession. It takes working through all of these things. But the foundation of the dealing with the sin nature and the breadth of every aspect of our lives must be dealt with for us to be able to grow as we ought. Without the breadth of this work in our lives, it becomes too easy to compartmentalize. You see, hypocrisy can become a problem when you compartmentalize in your life. This part's right with God, but this part over here, well, it's just a little difficult to deal with. I won't worry about it. 
But when you've allowed God to work in your heart to where he's working out through the breadth of your life, then we are able as whole persons. And that word wholeness and health is here also emphasized in this verse that God brings into our hearts. And then there is the longevity. What is involved with longevity? Well, I see it here in verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be preserved blameless. The word kept here means being preserved, but it also means conservation. It also means shielding, defending, and protecting. And what is protected? The blameless life. When you are purified by the entire sanctification of God's work in your life, you are preserved blameless. And blameless, if we just want to wrap it in a package, would say living a life pleasing to God. Chapter 3, verse 13, earlier in the letter says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all of his holy ones. You see, without this work in our lives of longevity, sanctifying work to keep us blameless, but if not, we, we lose the longevity or the aspect of that. We start talking and thinking in terms of, well, today I'm in the flesh, tomorrow I'm in the spirit, this 15 minutes I'm in this flesh, this 15 minutes I'm in the spirit. But no, the truth of the word of God is he can keep you blameless when he's done that entire work in your life. Our calling, then, is to live holy lives. We cannot again make the progress. He is faithful to work it in our lives, but he lays the foundation in our lives of sanctifying us entirely. Back in Michigan, where we came from, <clears throat> fishing was a real popular thing to do. And um, Alan and I never got into that, did we? We had a guy take us out fishing once, but it wasn't really our thing. But somebody who knew some more about fishing told me this story once and said that once one, one time he was out kind of on the end of a pier. And he saw a guy sitting there with his bucket, and he was having a really good day. Because I don't know how long the span was, but he saw this guy catch a fish, and then he saw this guy do something really interesting. He saw the guy uh, lean down in his, his little kit and pull up a, a, a ruler. It looked like it was broken off at a certain point, and he, held the fish up and measured it up. It was shorter than the ruler. He put it in his bucket, caught a couple more fish, held up to his ruler, put it in his bucket. Then he did something very strange. The next fish he caught, held it up to his ruler. It was longer. And I said, oh, he's, I bet he's excited. He's going to really be able to brag about this one. But he threw it back in the water. Caught another fish, longer than the ruler. Threw it back in the water. Finally, the guy couldn't stand it anymore. He came over to me and said, Hey, buddy, I hope you don't mind if I ask you this. He said, Why, why are you throwing those things, um, those fish, back in the water? He said, Oh, answer is very simple. He said, See this ruler? He said, Yeah, it looks like it's broken off at the 11 inch mark. He goes, Yep, that's how long my frying pan is. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> When it comes to God, sometimes we do the same thing. 
and especially concerning this grace of entire sanctification. We don't have the faith to believe sometimes that he can do that radical cleansing in our lives for whatever reason, different reasons, for whatever pe different people have said or thought. We don't think sometimes that God can do it. But I take you again back to verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. And a child of God who looks to a faithful God and believes that God is a faithful God does what? Exercises trust, exercises faith, says I will not put any limit on you, God, no matter, no, no, not simply in what I'm, in other words, let me just go back and say this again, will not put a limit on God, not only in the sense of not holding back anything and surrender, but also saying, God, I am going to believe that you can cleanse me entirely. John Wesley wrote, in answer to this question, what is the faith whereby we are sanctified? That we are cleansed from sin. And Wesley says, we must have the faith that God has promised it. We must have the faith that God is able and that he can do it now. And then he says, is not the, a moment the same as 1,000 years to him? Faith, he says, to believe that it can be done. No limits on God. I want to ask you tonight, I'm going to ask you first of all to stand. And with heads bowed and as we take a moment with some music, I want you to think about your life. You may have used the terminology, terminology lordship, but you know in your heart, in your spirit, that you've not believed God to completely and totally cleanse you. But remember that it is a preparation for growth. And the faithful God, though, tonight wants you to trust him that he can do this work in you completely and totally, entirely. And I'm going to invite you in faith to come. Surrender completely and totally all that you know to Him and ask Him to cleanse you entirely. You come if God is speaking to your heart.